guys. Welcome back to the Allergic to Grace podcast. I'm Victoria. And I'm Whitney. And we're so glad you joined in to listen today. If you would like to get notifications of our latest episodes and want to join us on our journey through Exodus, be sure to give us a follow wherever you get your podcasts. We're on most podcast platforms. Just search Allergic to Grace to find us. So today's episode, we are going to be talking about Exodus chapters 12 through 14. But to pick up where we left off last week, starting in chapter 9, we see the continuation of the plagues with the fifth plague, which is the killing of all livestock. And we go through chapter 11, which is mostly through the end of the rest of the plagues, right? Yes. So the sixth plague which is boils, the seventh plague, which is hail, the eighth plague, which is locusts, the ninth plague, which is three days of darkness. And finally, we see the threatening of the final plague. Throughout all of this, Pharaoh refuses to let the people of Israel go. So God has to continuously show him exactly who he is, which leaves us with chapter 12. The Passover. The Passover. Chapter 12 was a little... It was a slowdown for me, I feel, because we were like, plague, 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 plague. Yeah. And now here we are with the Passover, and it's just basically God telling Moses exactly what he needs to tell the Israelites to do in order for their lives to be spared. Yeah. It was really interesting. So, and I know we've talked about this before, but I started listening to Dr. Jordan B. Peterson's Exodus series. Okay. And when I tell you of the two-hour episode that they have on chapters 12 through 14, I would say over half of it is spent particularly or specifically on talking about the Passover. And they make so many incredible points that, I mean, I would, the $14.99 for the series is worth it. I mean, it's $14.99 a month, but Mm -hmm. you could get it done in a month. Yeah. So. Yeah. To be completely honest, I had heard of the Passover and I knew that it was something that the Jewish people participated in. And I knew of this story of how the Israelites were spared with the blood on the doors and like all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But I had no idea what the institution of the Passover was. Yeah. Growing up in the South as a Christian, I had absolutely zero idea of what the Passover was. Every time, even to this day, like when I hear the Passover, I immediately think of the cartoon, The Prince of Egypt. I have never seen that movie. It's it's good. It's good. I have I've seen so many things about it, yeah. but I've never seen it. We watched it. It's about this story, is it not? Yeah, it's about Exodus. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it starts with Moses in the basket and goes the whole way through. Mm-hmm. So... I've never seen it. It's good. It's cute. Where's it at? Is it on any streaming service? Uh, I think we had to pay like $1.99 to rent it. But I mean, for $1.99, you spend $1.99 on something stupid anyway. Yeah. I'll tell you where you can watch it. Oh, it's on Peacock. Is that free? Um, I'm just going to start playing. If you have, I don't know, I, I we have a subscription to Peacock. Oh, you do? Mm-hmm. Let me get those details. Yes. Because, I mean, the office and everything is on there. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, don't tell me that. <laughs> they all, it's, it's all there. Anyway. I'll, I'll try um, It's on Peacock, but let me see if it gives you other... Wa- Anyways, I mean, uh, you can buy it on Apple TV. It's fine. You can rent it on Apple for $3.99. Okay, I can, I'll find it somewhere and I'll watch it. So, um... But anyways, anytime the Passover is referenced, that's immediately what I think of is seeing them. I mean, we're going to talk about it, painting the blood mm-hmm. over the doors. Yeah. Yeah. So starting in chapter 12, it says, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then go to his nearest neighbor 
shall take accordingly to the number of persons according to what each can eat. You shall take, no, you shall make your count for the lamb. Okay, so before we get into the whole lamb thing, the beginning of the months. So found out through this research that the Jewish people are on a separate calendar. Like they don't follow the calendar that everybody else follows. They follow a separate calendar. Yes. Did you know that? I feel like I did vaguely. So I did some uh, digging. There are a bunch of names about the Jewish calendar. But basically, by starting out 12 with this, this is the month, you know, this is going to be the beginning of the year for you. He's starting a new God. Mm -hmm. God is telling the Israelite people, hey, everything has changed. I have, I am about to rescue you from Egypt. Everything is going to change. Your timeline starts now, basically. So he institutes a new calendar. I'm going to butcher these names, but a bib. It's mm-hmm. spelled A-B-I-B, mm-hmm. Abib, um, which it was later renamed to Nisan, N-I-S-A-N, um, is, would it be Gregorian calendar? Gregorian? Gregorian. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Gregorian? That's how I would it, say it. So their first month, which is Abib or Nisan, correlates to March or April. Yes. In the Gregorian, or whatever the fuck. Hours. Hour calendar. Yeah. The secular calendar. <laughs> the sec- thank you. I guess you could call it that. Um, so the Jewish calendar is based on a lunar month, whereas our calendar is based on a solar month. Okay. It's a bit longer than the 29 and a half days uh, because the months in the Jewish calendar are 29 or 30 days long. So they have to insert a month every seven or so years to make up for the time that was lost. <laughs> okay. But basically, I found that the, the names of the month just basically mean like when crops would be like harvested and like they meant something you read that somewhere um i just thought it was interesting the uh i think it was got questions yeah um made a interesting point about the fact that it's a lunar based calendar so it goes off the moon and not the sun right it Ah. says (laughs) go ahead it says to ancient israel the moon became a symbol of the nation itself the sun eventually became symbolic of the messiah since the moon produces no light of its own the symbolism is especially appropriate israel was supposed to reflect the messiah's light to the world yes i was also just thinking too the moon is what this calendar is based off of and what's the exact opposite of what the egyptians worship the sun (laughs) yeah that makes sense that's all i was laughing yeah it says the Jewish calendar remained unchanged during the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, approximately 400 years, despite an attempt by the Hellenistic rulers to induce a modified lunar month system. Basically, it said that the Hebrews didn't record dates um, by signing the month or didn't record events by signing the month of the day that it happened. They based their calendar around events that happened rather than the other way around. Okay, which makes sense as to why this is the beginning of a new. Yeah. Okay. There's a lot of other references to the rest of the years. Um, they have a bunch of different names, but they have 12 of them, just like our regular calendar does. But January is like their 11th month. 10th or 11th month is when January would start. Well, how many months do they have in a year? 12. Oh, okay. And they're all biblically referenced, except for like two or three of them. The ones that they make up? <laughs> yes, actually. <laughs> Because you have to think, like, the the Jewish people took this and ran with it, mm-hmm. you know, so it still exists today. Yeah. So. Yes. But it was, um, it's supposed to be dated from when the creation of the earth in three years and three months before the Christian era. So 
To find the current year in the Jewish calendar, one must add 3,759 to the date of the Gregorian calendar. So what we call 2015 is in the Jewish calendar year 5,775. Interesting. Got questions. Interesting. Not not anything for me, and I don't completely understand it. But (laughs) (laughs) there's that. Interesting. We have the start of a new new calendar, a new... Era. Era. Not specifically in terms of BC, AD, whatever, but... Yes. Uh, yes. So back to the lamb. Yes. One lamb for each household. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't have enough people in your household, you had a whole lamb, you go to your neighbor and be like, hey, you, guys you don't have enough. I don't have enough. Let's split one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but without Basically. cutting it. But without cutting it. And breaking its bones. No. So the lamb must be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from sheep or from goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. This is part of the institution of Passover, is that they keep a lamb from the 10th to the 14th, and on the night of the 14th, they slaughter it at twilight. Yes. Or midnight, or between two days. Yes. Do you know why they slaughter it at twilight? Tell me. Do you know why? No, I don't. You don't? No. It's because when they, they, that's when they were kicked out of Egypt. Oh, that makes sense. Because well, later on in the chapter, we'll see. Yes. But, yep. Also is when God spared them from his judgment. Can you imagine getting a lamb or a goat or something and keeping it for, what, four or five days? I'd get attached. Yeah, I was just thinking that. I'm like, I would too. But you have to keep in mind, too, it was a different culture. They didn't yeah. see them as pets or like. Yeah. And they knew not to get attached because they I mean, knew. it became part of their family. So by the time it was sacrificed, it was both cherished and mourned yeah so it had significance so you know god wanted the sacrifice to be of something precious precious my precious (laughs) (laughs) but anyway so moving on verse seven then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house which in which they eat it they shall eat the flesh that night roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts, and you shall let none of it remain until morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. In this manner, you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague shall befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. That was so hard for me to read. Oh my goodness. It was a lot of repetition. Yes. A lot of repetition. So basically, they slaughter a lamb, they roast it over a fire, they take its blood, they put it on the top of the door and the sides of the door, and then they basically eat it in haste, like they're in a rush for something. Be ready to go. Ready to go. Have your shoes on, have your have your stuff together, have your staff in your hand, be ready to run out the door. Literally. So if you don't know what a lintel of a door is, it's top of the door. Like, we have the top the of the door rectangle frame. of a yeah. door. The top of the door and the sides of the door. Yes. So if you were to connect the two sides, mm-hmm. and if you were to let the blood from the top run down, what does that make? Makes a cross. Makes a cross. Makes a letter T. Well, no. <laughs> I'm joking. It's a cross. It's a cross. It's a cross. Foreshadowing things, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> so 
something I found from Enduring Word said the idea behind eating it all was that you had to take it all then and not store up some for rescue for later. It was for right then, right now, and you had to receive all of it without thinking you could take a bit and then come back to it later if you pleased. So we take in all of Jesus, not just the parts that please us. Mm-hmm. Parallel. Mm-hmm. I mean, these were just a, a few of the parallels that I saw. Um, first of all, you know, I guess this isn't really a parallel, but this whole thing, this whole idea or this whole Passover um, is meant to be holy and sacred, right? Because it's the new beginning. It's immediately before they're coming out of Egypt to their freedom. Um, and that's why whatever's left over has to be burned because it's holy. So you okay. don't want to like, you know, let it lay around. Um, but some of the parallels that I have or that I found, I found these in Bi- on BibleWise.com. Um, the whole lamb is for the unity. Unity is a community. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I did not mean for that to rhyme. Right. Uh, unity eventually in Christ. Mm-hmm. The whole lamb. So that's why you can't break it. Can't cut it. He wants the whole thing roasted. Um, Bitter herbs for bitter times. You know, and this could be things like, I thought this was interesting, like rice or not rice. No, Mm -mm, that's not a herb. (laughs) Lettuce. Lettuce. Not even close. Yeah. Lettuce or jicama, I think it said, or just Uh some of the examples that they have. But anyways, for like bitter times, you know, bitter times in Egypt, eventually going to be the bitter times in the desert and mm-hmm. so on and so forth um the blood over the door was very much so i mean yes it told god you know this is where you know the israelites are to go past them and a large part of the reason too they did that also was because some of these israelites i mean yes the majority of them were living in goshen but i think a lot of them too kind of like assimilated is that the word Mm -hmm. into the communities of the egyptians because again i think we talked about it last week about how you know they're running people's households so you know if the the person running your household is not going to live in it forever away you know so i'm sure they have a house on the property and so whenever you know the spirit went through it wasn't just to skip the one area of goshen he knew that if he saw that on the doors even in the communities with the egyptians Mm -hmm. that there was an israelite living there um but anyways the blood over the door you know symbolic for creation and vitality because when you think about it i mean yes we've been through creation forever ago right but he's starting anew like he's bringing everybody out mm-hmm. of egypt and he's pretty much building from the bottom up again yeah and also because what were all, all of these plagues were doing what we talked about it in the last episode they were pretty much oh what was the word i don't know i don't can't remember what the exact word that i used was but it was like it's basically the undoing or the unraveling the decreating of the egyptians so for the israelites to clearly acknowledge you know Mm -hmm. with the blood to symbolize creation it's the exact opposite of what's being done to their oppressors Mm -hmm. makes sense so they are and i quote over and over the plagues have been presented as the undoing of creation the order the orderliness of creation devolving into chaos makes sense from bible wise i just thought that was really interesting yeah that makes sense so moving on to kind of like the 
Because we're still within what God is telling to Moses and Aaron, right? Yes, what like he's not what he's gonna what Moses and Aaron are going to tell the people to do. Yes. So in fourteen, this day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statue forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses, for if anyone eats what is leavened from the day from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. Okay. Time out. Sorry. Yeah. After, so verse 14, this again is um, an idea from the lecture series, just citing my sources, Mm -hmm. um, from Dr. Peterson um, about the Passover. So we've seen like the importance of like ritual in paganistic culture, you know, with the whole whatever it is that they do. And well, we've even seen it within the early ex- Christian culture. Exactly. And about, sacrifices. Exactly. How important ritual and regularity and stuff are. Yeah. And when you think about it, this was one of the points that they compared it to a child. Mm-hmm. You know how a child thrives on ritual, on schedule. Like you try to have approximate bedtimes, you try to have approximate meal times, yeah. you know, that type of thing. So and then then that child knows, "Oh, okay, when I get home, after school it's snack time okay i know that after snack time it's play time and they start to recognize that and they start to appreciate that mm-hmm. so by god i mean this is just one of the multitude of reasons that god has put this in place as a memorial day mm-hmm. but i just think it's really interesting and i didn't know this the first how many times i've heard this story this is that he's playing to or he is catering to our humanity mm-hmm. he's helping us to remember everything that happened. Yeah. You know, I just thought that that was really interesting because he could have just been like, okay, well, I hope you remember and appreciate what I did for you. I mean, it's kind of, it's exactly like, you know, memorializing any other event in history. Like we have 4th of July, we have Cinco de Mayo, we have 9-11, for example. Like it's exactly the same. We have Christmas, which don't get me started, but you know what I mean? Like, we remember those holidays as a major event in history. Exactly. So this major event in this in this people's history is still practiced today because it's been handed down generation after generation. Exactly. It didn't just come out of nowhere. Right. And it was a it was a major deal. Um, you know, and the difference, you know, since you're talking about history, this is from again the same lecture series. They talk about the difference between science and history. Mm-hmm. Science, you know, can be explained like mathematically, there's you know, yeah. all types of evidence for it. Whereas history, think about like history in general, not even just specifically the Exodus, but history is meant for things that are unique mm-hmm. and they can't be explained. So for somebody to sit and say, well, God didn't do the those plagues, they didn't happen. Well, they're part of history. What else is part of history that you don't have you know, specific evidence or that could be explained scientifically. I mean, think about the Holocaust, Mm -hmm. you know, that was a unique circumstance. I'm not saying unique as in, oh, it's so unique, like a wonderful thing. I'm just saying that when has that ever happened again? Like, yeah, it's unique in the sense that it happened once, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, same thing with like, oh, I'm trying to think of another example because that was really good. Um, 
like the it's things difficult. that like Alexander See? the Great did. Yeah. Like we know what he did, but that, that can't be explained scientifically. Exactly. And that's why it's hard to think of something because it is unique. Yeah. So if something different or out of the ordinary occurs that doesn't or somebody's telling you about an event like that that occurred, that doesn't mean that it didn't happen. Yeah. Just because something is different doesn't mean, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. that it didn't. Yeah. I just thought that was a really interesting point. It is. Um, it is. Do you have anything about Passover being a foundation? Okay. I'm just going to throw this in here then, too. So, Passover, we talked about it being the beginning of the calendar, the beginning of, you know, the new. Yep. God is taking, while we're not, he's not starting completely over, he's still keeping his promise that he made to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, um, you know, but he is kind of starting over with the new people in a sense that it's been 430 years, you know. So he's using Passover as kind of a foundation. We're getting first, this is, and I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I think this is the first time we're seeing him give laws or rules. You know, you will follow this every year. You will do this for keep this for four days. Then you will do this and eat this for seven days and yeah. so on and so forth. It's specific. Yes. Um, And he's doing that. He's building. It's just, it's crazy to think about because it sounds, I think whenever you are reading it and you hear the story in passing, you don't quite understand the depth of the Passover. Because, I mean, it's not just about like God. Yeah, it's about God saving his people and, you know, leaving the Egyptians and, you know, defeating the Egyptians, that kind of thing. He's building the foundations for the fact that God saved his people with a great hand, a mighty hand, I think are the exact words that he uses. Um, and really, I mean, ultimately, that's one of the biggest things that that he wants you to remember. And then ultimately, with the ultimate Passover, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, in the New Testament. If you think about how Exodus ends, um, we have the institution of the tabernacle and the most holy place and all of these laws that have been given down by God, you know, to Moses to give to the Israelite people. So the Passover, the institution of the Passover really is that foundation on which everything else is built. It's like his first saying, hey, here's what I'm telling you to do. Do it. And we'll build on that further. Exactly. So, I mean, it's, it's not saying that it's the bottom of the foundation. It's not saying that it's like the the foundation of the church for example that's not what it's saying it's right. saying this is this is my first thing i want you to do do it and you will be spared do it and remember what i have done and then further down the line he gives further instructions on what to do to yes. consecrate his people to consecrate yeah. him mm-hmm. and all of that stuff yeah so, absolutely that um, makes sense you said something oh this was it. Okay. So you said, you know, it required. Mm, it, are hard. It required them, you know, to listen and to do as he said. And keep in mind what God was doing, you know, in this whole waiting, what comes in waiting, faith. And so this is the very first time we're seeing this, this is the first Passover. The Israelites have to do this without knowing that this that this plague is actually going to happen. Oh, yeah. I have a thing about that. So. Yeah. No, they have to take it on faith. 
from exactly. Moses that he that God did tell him to do this and that they are supposed to be doing it. And there are there were some people, some Israelite people that didn't believe, that didn't have faith, that didn't understand what Moses was saying was true. They could have agreed that yeah, that makes sense. We should put blood on the door, but they didn't do it. Yep. And so their firstborn yep. was not spared. They did not get to leave with the Israelite people. Mm-hmm. Same thing goes for the Egyptians. If some people in the Egyptian community saw what God was doing to the Israelite people, saw what God was doing to the Egyptians, they suffered through all the plagues. They feared him. They knew of what Moses had told the Israelite people from somebody in their house, say for a servant. And they did that sacrificially, the process correctly. They were spared. Because they ultimately, they believed. believed. They believed. And how... And they got to leave with the Israelite people. Exactly. And that too plays into yet another parallel because you need, you have to believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Yeah. You know? So, okay. Now I'm ready to move on. Okay. So moving on. I told you I had a lot. (laughs) (laughs) So um, the unleavened bread. So on the first day you shall eat a holy... Oh my gosh. On the first day, you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day, a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days. But what everyone needs, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. So the only work you're doing is cooking. Right. And you shall observe the feast of the unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. So he's instituting Passover, Mm -hmm. which is the slaughter of the lamb, the blood on the door, the eating of the lamb, the burning of its remains after the day after, blah, 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 right? Yes. And he's also instituting the feast of unleavened bread. So the feast is seven days. It goes from the 10th day. No. No. That's when Passover starts. Passover began on the 10th. On the 14th, they ate the Passover. And this was the first day of the yes. 11th bread. Yes. So the 14th through 21st? the 21st. It's seven days, right? Seven days. 21st. Yep. Yes. Um, they only ate unleavened bread. So, uh, of course, I fell into a rabbit hole about what I was hoping so, is. because I knew it had to have, I knew it had to be something other than it just had to be quickly prepared. So the whole purpose of having unleavened bread. So if you ever have made your own bread yourself, you know that you have to have, if it's sourdough bread, for example, you have to have a starter of some sort. And normally people didn't make their starters every single time they would make bread. Yeah. You make even a big in, batch of it. Exactly. Even now you keep, you it keep in your jar, starter. Yeah. And then you and would then mix you, in yes. a little bit to rise your flour. Yes. And so the bread would rise and be all fluffy. Yeah. And stuff. Okay. So by ancient practice yeah by unleavened it means that you throw out your starter and you have nothing to rise your bread with because loving this already because the starter in in itself is a live bacteria it is yeast and that's what makes the bread rise like you can eat it it's fine and to be honest there was some i think there was some um what is the word hygienic okay yes there was some hygienic (laughs) you know purpose to this as well because you need to redo your starter every now and again or else the bacteria gets bad and then your bread gets bad and like it's gross mm-hmm. um so in. you need to right you need to throw it out every now and again and restart over but the leaven in bread was thought to be like sin because you put a little bit in and it spreads throughout the entire yep. loaf yep and it makes everything just mm-hmm. a delicious but yep. b bad <laughs> yeah yeah so um the unleavened bread 
It says, according, this is from Got Questions, according to the Hebrew lexicon, the term unleavened bread is derived from the word matzoa, which means bread or cake without leaven. The lexicon also states that matzoa is in turn derived from the word, which means to drain out or suck. In referring to the second Hebrew word, the lexicon states in the sense of greedy, devouring for sweetness. So it's quite possible that the unleavened bread, while it may have been heavy and flat, may also have been sweet to the taste. They're basically eating crackers. Okay. And it's still done today. Like Mm -hmm. in in terms of the Passover observance, like it's, they don't eat leavened bread. Like they don't buy bread from the grocery store and eat it. Like they would make crackers from flour and water basically, because what else goes into bread besides your starter? Sugar. Yeah. Sugar. Salt. That's it. You know? Yeah. So they're making crackers because their bread didn't rise because they didn't have yeast in Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And what kind of bread did Lot make for his two holy visitors? I don't know unleavened bread okay there you go why also the second part of the unleavened bread is that you have to have you have to give it time to rise exactly so if you have mixed in your starter with your flour and your water and your sugar and all that mess you have to give it time to rise before you bake it um and in the haste that they were eating the passover lamb and the haste that they left egypt they had no time for their bread to rise so that's also a part of it yes there's a lot of a lot of symbolicness Mm mm-hmm to the unleavened bread. That's and I don't the think, word. I feel like we just kind of glossed over it a little bit. I feel like there's a lot more. It, there detail. is. And especially with the Passover, there's so much symbolism. Oh, yeah. It's insane. Like, yes, there's the obvious stuff, but then there's the not so obvious stuff. Like the unleavened bread. Yeah. The yeast. How it only needs a little bit and spreads throughout the whole thing. Yes. All right. Where was I at in scripture? Uh, the first month. Yes, right? The unleavened bread. Therefore, you shows uh, 18. In the first month from the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month. You're trying to do math and it was right there. (laughs) Great. Uh, For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he's a sojourner or a native of the the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwelling places. You shall eat unleavened bread so many times this is repeated nothing leaven nothing leaven you will be cut off you will be cut off don't do it i'm wondering what they would do because i mean obviously god said you'll be cut off what did the people do if they found out that somebody ate something leavened they probably cut them off they probably shouldn't yeah threw them to the wolves if you will i'm i'm picturing modern day jewish person converting to christianity what their family would do to them shun them shun them there's a documentary on jewish people on netflix yeah i should watch it it's interesting it's very interesting because there's a whole community people yeah it's a whole community um in manhattan a very strict i mean i'm sure there's communities of them elsewhere but this this particular document documentary follows a very strict tight-knit jewish community within manhattan i mean they have their own police like everything oh wow it's like yeah it's interesting anyway that's why i learned a lot money about jewish the jewish people jewish people i mean you are part jewish i am hebrew (laughs) shut up um okay so then moses called all the elders of israel and said to them go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the passover lamb take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin none of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. How intimidating and how scary is that word? 
the destroyer. The destroyer. I tried looking. I really like, did. And I found absolutely nothing. I there was a lot of stuff that was kind of like, eh, should I trust this? Um, and a lot of things that kind of talked about Revelation. Uh, um, and sometimes referred to the destroyer as the angel of death. Um, sometimes was talking about how um it was an angel of God that came with a purpose, like all of that stuff. But like, what do you think it was? The destroyer. What do you mean? What do I think it was? Because, you know, I I feel like the angel of death is a little dark, you know? I mean, I think it was the angel of death. Why would there be an angel of death when death was never part of the plan? What do you mean it was never part of the plan? It obviously was. No, like death, death from the beginning was part of sin. That was the consequence of sin was death. Yeah, but God Jesus knew. conquered death. Yeah, but God knew that the fall was going to happen because he knew they were going to make that choice. Yeah, I know. But like, why would he That's make an angel of death part of his court? For this reason. I'm going to throw something at you. I'm trying to look for, it looks like there was a cross reference to the destroyer in my Bible. And I was just looking at that. What, what was that? 1223, right? My Bible says the precise identity of the destroyer is uncertain. The alternative translation destruction may be preferable. That's what my Bible says. Okay, hold on. 12.23. Oh, we have Hebrews 11.28. Yeah, and they just keep saying the destroyer. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it was the angel of death, personally. So what is the angel of death, then? Um, I would have to do some research into that. We're doing it now. Okay. Hmm. The Bible nowhere teaches that there's a particular angel who is in charge of death or who is present whenever a person dies. In Kings 19.35 describes an angel putting to death... 185,000 Assyrians who had invaded Israel. Some also see Exodus chapter 12, the death of the firstborn of Egypt, as a work of an angel. The Bible nowhere attributes the death of the firstborn to an angel. Wherever the case, the Bible describes the angels causing death as at the command of the Lord. Scripture nowhere teaches that there was a specific angel of death. No angel or demon can in any sense cause or our death before the time of God has willed it to occur. Oh, here we go. This is also from God Questions. This is God Questions, by the way. Yes, I saw that. I started looking at the same article. I'm like, oh, let me go look for a different one. Um, the destroying angel is also commonly referred to as the angel of death. On numerous occasions, this is where it kind of clicks and makes sense for me. On numerous occasions, God used angelic beings, heavenly messengers of some kind, to bring judgment to sinners on earth. That makes sense. So it's probably just some type of, again, a different type of angel or angelic being i know we touched on this quite some time ago about rc Sproul series on the different types of angels yeah. and their jobs and things and then they're just carrying out the job or the duty that the lord or the spirit has commanded them and so i mean think again about sodom and gomorrah yeah they were angelic beings you kind of have to separate it death is something that occurs yeah death is not an angel it's not a being it's not a demon it's yes. not anything yeah death is an action yeah so god sent an angel to carry out an action yes exactly in the form of a destroyer Ex- exactly and i saw too in that article that you were referencing too i mean it make they make a very very valid point as evidenced by the words that we were just reading verbatim from the bible they call the the being the destroyer they don't nowhere in the bible according to that and i don't know off the top of my head is an angel of death mm-hmm. taught. Yeah. So my guess is that angel of death is just some type of colloquial term yeah. that we as secular humans developed in order to be able to understand yep. the supernatural by which this plague was carried out. 
I mean, it's kind of, okay, so in terms of how we see God, it's kind of difficult to wrap your head around the fact that God would send an angel to kill the firstborn of every family because he's God. He's supposed to be a part. He's supposed to be holy. And you associate holy with perfect and does no wrong. But see, God did no wrong in killing the firstborn. It was his divine judgment. Exactly. And I was just going to say, what is one of those attributes about God is God is just. Just. And that was another another thing that I had wanted to talk about was, okay, well, clearly it was Pharaoh that was telling them though they couldn't leave. Well, why did he have to punish everybody? Well, think about like the types of sins, you know, I we'll just pick Pharaoh. He deceit, pride, I mean, among other pagan. things. And they he was a worshiper of and they gods. filtered down through, mm-hmm. you know, again, kind of back to the whole Sodom and Gomorrah thing. If you can find what was it? Ten people yep. that were holy. Yeah then okay. But this was a community built on years and years and years and years of this type of leadership. So don't tell me that they weren't raising their, you know what I mean? It's a generational thing. Like I heard our pastor growing up used to tell a story about how this mother, this grandmother would, you know, every time she made a roast beef, she'd cut it in half Mm -hmm. and put it in the oven. And so that's the way she was taught to do it. So then that's how she taught her daughter to do it. So she always mm-hmm. cut the roast beef in half and put it in the oven. Yeah. Never understood why. They just she did just that. did it. Yeah. And that's how she taught her daughter. Well, eventually, you know, the daughter asked the grandmother, you know, why do we do that? And the grandmother said, I just never had a roast pan that would fit the whole thing. <laughs> so you see what I mean? Yeah, like I you just mean. teach and it you it just carries on and carries on, kind of like, you know, much deeper than a, a roast beef. But you yeah. know, yeah, I get, the I get sin it. kind of filters down through and everybody's guilty. I mean, that's I shouldn't kind of, say it like that, but you know what I mean? But no, you're not wrong because everybody is born into sin. You can have a three hour old baby who is a sinner. Like it's, I mean, and they were it's all, a part of being in the fall. It's exactly a, part of being a human, a human. And I think too, like the Israelites all had ways of sacrificing and atoning for their sin, but don't tell me that the Egyptians did that because they didn't feel they need to because they didn't know who god was they didn't know who god was they didn't know who god they were was. all they were busy worshiping other gods exactly that didn't exist <laughs> precisely i mean they so, were blasphemous against god himself yeah and mm-hmm. doing all of that yeah. so yeah that makes sense but like two it's just one of those things that humans have such a hard time understanding one the justness of god and how he carries out that judgment and two the fact that you can have a three-hour-old baby who is a sinner like exactly we are right and wrong is so of this world that we don't see the bigger picture of what god has exactly and that's all a direct result of the fall of the fall of the fall yes okay so So destroyer is just an angel sent by god to, to destroy to carry out death yeah. to, to destroy people i'm glad we went down that rabbit hole that was really yes. interesting i tried and i just got sucked into i didn't even think about it because i always just accepted it was you know the, the spirit a supernatural force that i mean like okay so like think about it did he just send an angel down and the angel went through and as he passed the houses the kids just fell asleep and died or was it like super traumatic yeah yeah i mean so you know again, and came in with like this giant sword and slashed some people I, you know? I mean hey could have been i again every time i think about this i think of the prince of egypt they demonstrate it it's just it looks like a spiritual supernatural angelic i guess being for a lack of better term that just like whoosh, 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 just that's the, the wind. sound it's the wind that, that comes through. in and kills you <laughs> 
and you see and keep in mind that the, probably the majority of them are asleep because it's the it's middle the of the, of the night. night and you just see them they just they're just gone i mean their bodies are there but yeah. like they're just they're their dead. living is just gone yeah so yeah. i don't imagine that it was i personally based on cartoons i don't <laughs> envision it being this like i mean i think once people dramatic. started to it realize was what was happening yeah. it became dramatic and traumatic and i mean the talk we're going to read it in a little bit they talk about the cry in egypt yeah that i think once people realized it became a big loud chaotic thing but while it was happening i don't think so yeah that makes sense personally just a personal opinion there's no biblical evidence for that yes so we have to remember that the... Re- no, we're going to keep moving on until we get to the actual plague itself. Okay. okay. So Hold on. Did you have a thing about the hyssop? I thought you did. I thought you said you did because we already um, read It's that. just that, you know, the hyssop, it was often used to apply blood for the cleansing of sin. Mm-hmm. Um, it's seen in Leviticus for the cleansing of a leper um, in Numbers used to make the ashes of a red heifer for the water of pur- purification. Um, again, in Numbers was used to apply the purification of water. Um, it says David in his great psalm of repentance said, "Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean." Hyssop was always connected with purification through sacrifice, which all of that was after this happened. Yeah. So, yeah, that's why I bet. Yeah, probably. So, um, this is also from Enduring Word. It says hyssop was even connected with Jesus's great sacrifice for sin. John points out when Jesus was offered sour wine to drink on the cross, the sponge soaked with it was put on a bunch of hyssop. <gasps> I never put that parallel together. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Full circle. Yep. Ugh, so, that man hanging on the cross for me. That makes... Yep. New Testament. New Testament. Moving on. So, you <laughs> if we sit here and... and now I'm going to cry. <laughs> no. So, it says, 24, you shall observe this right as a statue for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck Egypt when he struck the egyptians but spared our houses and the people bowed their heads and worshiped when the people of israel went and did so as the lord had commanded moses and aaron so they did did you know i looked at like the rites and the ritual of passover okay and this is actually something that the young a child a son asks during the passover i think it's asked to the to the father and he asks like a ritualistic question asks a ritualistic question and then the son the son tells the story of the passover that makes sense again appealing to our humanity catering to our humanity to remember this and so i guess i don't know if this is the right place to ask this question or if i should wait until after the death of the firstborn but you know we can read 29 through 32 because that's yeah let's go ahead and let's do that that's the first okay Mm -hmm. so 29 i'm just gonna read it through it's a lot And I don't want to try to explain. So it says, At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, and he said, And all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there were a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Go. No. And said, Up. Go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go. Serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone. And bless me also. So selfish. Bless me also. You're scared. 
I'm not making excuses. It for says him. the blessing sought is presumably to re- reverse the dreadful curse that had gone through the land. Mm-hmm. They thought that the people would come back. Not happening. Well, because so think before, about it. Every time he'd ask, f- to, be he, he reversed it. Yep. Well, God told him this was going to listen, Pharaoh. You did it to yourself. He did. So if we remember last episode, the Ipuar papyrus. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Tell me something about the Good. last plague. My Bible references this, by the way. Yeah. It says the Ipuar papyrus says, forsooth, the children of princes are dashed against the wall. Forsooth, the children of princes are cast out in the streets. He who places his brother in the ground is everywhere. He, no, it is groaning throughout the land mingled with lamentations. It happened. Morning. Lamentations means morning. Yeah. Uh, It happened. Yep. It happened. That is an extra biblical poem from... The same time of, of the Exodus. Yes. So what I was going to ask is, you know, we're talking about this memorial and the importance of remembering and the yep. importance of emphasizing how big of a deal this actually was, right? To me, whenever I'm reading this, I think, too, that God wants us to remember and wanted them to remember. Let me find it because I wrote my thought down. Anyway, I think it's important to remember that the terribleness and the trauma of it all in order for this to happen what was your question so i guess it really wasn't a question i was gonna ask you know do you think part of the remembering that god wants us to do is to remember how awful it was yeah i mean the whole purpose of the plagues of the passover of the of the rescue of the israelites from egypt and the remembrance and the institution of the passover for that remembrance mm-hmm. is to remember who he is and what he is capable of exactly uh this was the thought that i had written and i found it amongst the chaos that is my notes that passover is not just a celebration of the end of the egyptians and the end of tyranny but to also remember this horrible act that was done that affected even the egyptians prisoners yep prisoners of war yeah i think thought that this little snippet from i think it was enduring word said the rescue from the angel of death did not happen by a prayer or fasting or a good work it was accomplished by a life given on behalf of others yeah i think it's a very good point i'm sorry can you reread you weren't paying attention oh my gosh Rescue from the angel of death did not happen by oh, yes, prayer or yes, fasting I, or good mm-hmm, work. It was yes. accomplished by life given Absolutely. on behalf of others. Absolutely. And that's another uh, that was that is another point of the Passover and the remembering of the Passover is that how many people had to be lost for you to be free? How many people were sacrificed? How many people had to, you know, animals, people, innocence, I guess not necessarily innocence because it is a judgment, but had to be lost for the freedom. Yeah. You know, again, back to remembering the terrible act that it was. So, so I found something that's also extra biblical from one of these commentaries. Oh, good. It says an inscription was found in a shrine connected with the great Sphinx that records a solemn promise from the Egyptian gods vowing that that most the fourth would succeed his father. I'm not going to say this right. And Mm-hmm. Hot to p- whatever. The second, whom many believe to be the pharaoh of the Exodus, this unique emph- emphatic promise from the gods that something so natural would happen that the eldest son would take his father's place as pharaoh was perhaps because Thutmose the fourth was not his father's firstborn mm-hmm. son, and the firstborn was struck dead at the first Passover. Therefore, they believed the secondborn son needed special protection from the gods, and the inscription sought to provide that. Interesting. 
Very interesting. Tell me it didn't happen. Right. It did. I found, I mean, this is kind of moving slightly away from the Passover and into, I mean, I hate to say the word targeting, but the importance, I guess, or the symbolism of looking at the firstborn. Uh-huh. Trying to pause this and decide what the plan is. Yes. No, I think it's, did we have a lot left? We're still in 12. I know, but do you have a lot left? Um... Uh, not really. I think it'll be okay. I think we'll push through. Um. Anyway, so going back to looking at the firstborn and symbolism as to why the firstborn, you know, would have been affected. This is from Bible, BibleWise.com. This help it helps to know that the ancient Near East, including Egypt, governed according to the rule of primogeniture. Sure. Um, the first, basically the firstborn. Yeah. Uh, the firstborn is, which we know from Genesis, the firstborn is imbued with power and authority simply by virtue of being born. Yep. Killing the firstborn attacks the entire culture, not just the Egyptians, their entire culture. Mm-hmm. Eldest sons ruled younger sons. Younger sons could dominate servants or slaves. Needless to say, the Israelites were the lowest class. Mm-hmm which might offer another explanation as to why the Egyptians were so loath to let them go. Because if the lowest class leaves, the lowest class becomes somebody, somebody among else. the Egyptian people. Yeah, yeah. It, it becomes Egyptians. They didn't want to get rid of their free labor. And ironically, the lowest class provides the foundation upon which the whole nation rests. The death of the firstborn, then, is not only the precipitating factor in having Pharaoh cast out the Israelites, but it also opens up the Egyptian society to new possibilities and newfound freedoms. Mm. I just thought that was interesting because they're think about it like they've their economy is gone their livestock their everything the locusts ate everything and now any symbolism of who was to secede who gone yep pure we're not even talking about just like chaos in a sense of like you know just having lost everybody lost a child like yes of course the chaos but the chaos amongst everything like who's gonna run the household now you know, like who's in charge? What happens if it, if it was a woman, her husband, who was her firstborn and they had a son? It's just her. Left. Oh, my gosh. Like I didn't even think about the adults. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like every, it was that's why they said there was not a household that wasn't affected. Everybody. So even if you didn't have any children, but you were a firstborn, you died. Done. Yeah. I'd be dead. Dang. I didn't even put two and two together. Yeah. Like, yes, of course, the children, but like adult. The destroyer the not did die? not discriminate probably even if he was a firstborn maybe he was kept for the simple fact of seeing this happen i mean he's gonna die anyway yeah as we find out later yeah okay but he's still here to see his well because too then think about the chaos that's about to ascend this entire nation because everybody that's left is going out to chase down the israelites Uh, right seriously okay but we'll get there so the exodus the egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste for they said we shall all be dead so the people took their dough before it was leavened and need and their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders the people of israel had also done as moses told them for they had asked the egyptians for silver and gold 
jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered, plundered the Egypt- Egyptians. Oh my gosh. Thus they mm-hmm. plundered the Egyptians. Yes. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. Okay, let's pause. So 600,000 men. But that's just men. the men men we're not talking about flocks we're not talking about animals we're not talking about women we're not talking about children that's a that's over half a million people yeah well so i found um that's right right yeah mm -hmm. yes yeah that's over half a million people of just men so then that you know six hundred thousand is a lot right but then take into consideration like you said women children um we're not even talking about animals yet but two i'm sure the israelites Yes, they were the slaves in the work, you know, but there had to have been other cultures and other communities within the Egyptian community that were cast out or cast down or put into slavery, you know, and so they left with them. Yes. No, the next verse says a mixed multitude also went up with them and very much livestock with flocks and herds. So the mixed multitude, not all of them were Israelites. Some of them were probably Egyptians. Yeah. And perhaps other foreigners because they saw who God was and believed. Yeah. And were spared. That and two, like, hey, this is a chance to get out with this giant mass of people. So really, it was probably more like two to three total were think they, at least from what I could read, they were thinking two to three million people. That's crazy. That's insane. Mm. That's a lot of people. It continues and says, and they baked unleavened cakes for the dough of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor they had, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. Now we've already talked about that. 430 years. They were not enslaved for 430 years. The 430 years starts when... Isaac laughs. No, Ishmael laughs at Isaac. Is that what we said? 430 started when Ishmael laughed at Isaac. Yes. Yeah. At that um, party. Yeah. Um, At the end of the 430 years on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt on that very day. Side note. Sorry. Swinging back around. I was just looking. I'm like, what is a comparison for two to three million people? Mm. Half of New York City. Half of New York. Uh-uh. Yes, half of New York City. Okay. That's crazy. So the 430 years started when Ishmael laughed at Isaac at the weaning party. On that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. A night of watching. Hmm. Did you do any research about that? Night of watching? I'm looking right now. Okay, so this kind of answers it. This is from setapartpeople.org.com. Um, the first translation in the NSV version, which is not the version of the Bible that we use, but when you read this, the verse in the New American Standard Translation, you don't really notice anything exceptional about it. It seems to refer to the observance of the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the special meal. And telling of the story right mm-hmm. here is um this is supposed to be a literal translation night of watchings it is to jehovah to bring them out from the land of egypt it is this night to jehovah of watchings to all the sons of israel to their generations they're basically just saying it's a vigil oh okay that makes sense to the night that god 
brought them out of Egypt. Egypt. Yeah. Okay. From what I understand anyway. Again, I could be wrong. Doesn't happen very often. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. All right. So the institution of the Passover. So now the plague has happened. They have been sent out from Egypt. They're gathering their things. They're walking out of Egypt. Millions of people. And the Lord says to Moses. Right. And the Lord says to Moses and Aaron. This is the statue of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave that is bought from money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hard worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside of the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people out of Israel. Nope. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. That is the end of 12. Oh, that is my the end of 12. Goodness. A whole hour. <sighs> Give or take. Yeah. That's insane. There's a lot of repetition within the next two chapters, though. Yes, there is. There is. And I feel like we've already stressed the importance of the Passover because we had to look at not only the importance of the Passover, but we also looked at the institution of it. Yeah. And the parallels of it. Yeah. And the rules and this and that and the other thing so yes so now we get into the consecration of the firstborn Mm -hmm. so because god spared the firstborn of sons of israel or the firstborn whatever of israel now the firstborns from here on out have to be consecrated to the lord as like payment basically yeah they're sparing well to think about children are a gift they are not yours you may think they are they are a gift from god yes Firstborn of humans and animals. Still not yours. though. Yes. No, I know. But still. Um, So at the beginning of 13 says, the Lord says to Moses, consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast is mine. So remember Cain and Abel. I do remember. I do remember them. The first and the best of what you have. Yes. So the consecration of beasts, if it was a clean beast, as in a sheep or goat not a donkey not a donkey not a pig <laughs> don't think they had pigs but if if it was a sheep or a goat they would slaughter the firstborn and give it to god yes as a sacrifice as a sacrifice if it was an unclean animal i don't want another sacrifice if it was an unclean animal they took a clean animal and sacrificed it yes yes if it was a child, they sacrificed it. No, they didn't. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> that was an institution that was a no-no. You do not hurt children. No. They are children. I'm joking. Anyway, so if it was a child, you had to make a sacrifice yes. or pay money. Okay. Five shekels. Still. Which comes later, but still. Still still a sacrifice. It is still a sacrifice. In a sense. It's basically, and the thing of it is, is like I was saying, is, is that they're not yours. Yeah. Nothing is yours. Nothing is yours. Name one thing that was not given to you. Yeah. If you don't redeem the donkey, you have to kill Break it. its neck. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because you can't sacrifice the donkey because it's not a clean animal. It's not. And it's only the firstborn sons that he wants consecrated. Animal. Did you know? Did you notice yeah, that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I did notice that. The differentiation. But anyways, um, basically, God just says 
and hello, out of all the things that God has given us and is giving you and has done for the yeah. Israelites, he is not asking for a lot. No. He's just saying, much like we saw in Genesis, the yep. first and best. And basically, Payment. it's his. Payment. It's his. Give it back. Yep. It is his. Yep. And the thing that is, is if you do that, you get, what was it? 10 times more or something like that? Something like we that. We went over I it in Genesis. Remember. But and at any rate, no, it was not the practice of child sacrifice. You were basically committing or giving them back, back to, the Lord. to god yeah yep. so it says and when time and when in time to come as no oh my gosh <clears throat> and when in time to come your son asks you what does this mean you shall say to him by a strong hand the lord brought us out of egypt from the house of slavery for when pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go the lord killed all the firstborn in the land of egypt both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. I shuddered at that verse. Which verse? Um, 16. It shall be a mark on your hand or the frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Yes. Because... I recently read through the entire New Testament. Yes. The mark of the beast is a, what is it? Oh, what's the word? Imitation of that. Oh. Hmm. It's on your hand or on your head. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, what does this mean? It's happening. What does it mean? Uh, so in this sense, I mean, do you know what it is? No, I have no idea. In this case? In this case, I have no idea. So what it is, is basically from what I understand, and I could be wrong, but what from what I understand, Jewish people would wear prayers. Oh, yeah. No, I read that. So. And Jesus, when he came and saw that the Pharisees were putting like giant pieces of paper on their forehead and walking around like, I know everything. Ha ha ha. He was like, stop that. No. <laughs> Get out the whips. <laughs> Turn the tables. Flipping the tables. But they took it way too far. Like, that's not... No. No. And we'll get to that. Yeah. Probably in a year or two. <laughs> Seriously. But anyways, yeah. That was all. That was it. So the most important part, other than the consecration of the firstborns in 13, is the um, the pillar of cloud and fire. Yeah, let's go to that. I think that's good. 17. Because that's where we're at anyway. That's where <laughs> we are. 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. Hold on. Uh, Before you start talking about Joseph. I don't have anything on Joseph, just the fact that it's like... He did it. Full circle. He did it. I want to go back to the fact that God took them basically the long way around. Oh, I have a thing about that, too. Okay. So, basically, you see this mass of two to three million people coming, what looks like around or for your city. I mean, the Philistines, keep in mind, they have no idea what's going on. Mm -hmm. They just know there's a giant mass of people coming. And if they see it, they're going to want to fight. And we already know that the Israelites' faith is punitive. It's very punitive right not punitive puny it's very small 
And so it's just going to take one thing to send them over the edge, as we will see yet again in this next section, yep. that's going to want to make them go back. So yet again, God is catering to their humanity, to our humanity, in the sense of the fact that he is taking the long way around away from the Philistines so as to not be attacked yep. or to destroy their faith. Because think about it. You did all of this work. He did all of this work to make the Israelites believe, right? They finally have their faith. It's happening. They're free. But it's only going to take the tiniest little bit, too. Oh, yeah. No, true. You know? Enduring Word said um, the coastal route, known as the Way of the Sea or Via Maris, was the shortest and most common way to go from Egypt to Canaan. Yet it was also the road where the Egyptians' military outposts were. God knew the people of Israel were not ready to face this, so he led them a different way. Exactly. Precisely. It said it would have been easy for the Israelites to think that the Via Maris was the way to go. It had good, easy roads with shortest distance. It was a trade route, so the food and water could be bought. But the dangers of the way were too great, though they could not see them. Mm-hmm. God anticipated dangers they could not exactly. see. Exactly. Well, he didn't anticipate them. He knew them. He knew them. But yet again, catering to our humanity. Yep. He is spoon feeding us here. Spoon feeding. Num, num, num. Okay. So Joseph actually left Egypt with the Israelite people. He did. His mummified body was not a bag of bones. Sure. He was in a coffin. We read it at the end of Genesis. He was embalmed. We put him up there, his whole body, on a wagon, and we're just pulling him along with us. He was at the beginning, okay. the middle, or the end of the people. And the Lord went. I would before say at the them. beginning with Moses, don't you think? <laughs> and the Lord went before them by day in a. You didn't of- answer me. I'm so ready to be done with this episode. It's five million years long. I'm asking a question. I don't know. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar. I bet you it was one of his descendants. Okay, Moses was not a descendant of Joseph. No. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud. But hold on a second. <laughs> no, I'm just messing with you. I'm ready. And the Lord went before them by way day. No, shut up. <laughs> and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light and they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart before the people. Shekinah glory, the theophany of Christ himself, was the pillar of fire and cloud. Boom. He was. Yes. The cloud of this human nature was a veil to the light and fire of his divine nature. We find him in Revelation, Jesus, clothed with a cloud and his feet as pillars of fire. Boom. Yeah. Have you ever looked up, and for those of you listening, I encourage you to look up, just because I think it's very interesting, the AI artistic interpretation of the cloud and the pillar of fire. It you know, we can is, do that. It is. We what? should do it and post it on our Instagram. It is. I don't even know how AIs look. I just saw it on a reel. But it looks incredibly, what's the word? Scary. But at the same, yes, terrifying, incredibly terrifying, but comforting at the same time. Weird. It's very interesting. Okay. Anyway, crossing the the Red Sea. That was the end of 13. So here we are at the infamous story of crossing the Red Sea. Mm -hmm. So basically the Lord had brought them into the wilderness and butted them up against the Red Sea. So as we'll see in a minute, (laughs) the Egyptians were coming for them says the lord said to moses tell the people of israel to turn back and encamp in front of the what that the f- fi i'm gonna say fi between the hi ha hi roth 
between the my doll Mick doll my doll <laughs> Migdal and camp in front of the Pi Hai Roth between Migdal and the sea. Yes, in front of Baal Zephon. Okay, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say to the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. So basically, he's saying, hey, go over there and make it look like you've been wandering around. You have no idea where you are. Backtrack. That's Backtrack. What he's to do. Go over there and just be like, oh, we're lost. Come help us. Please save us. We don't know where we are. Oh, help oh, me. No. I'm poor. <laughs> so Pharaoh gets all of his chariots and he comes charging after the Israelite people because he's like, oh, they're lost. This is our chance. They're butted up against the sea. They have nowhere to go. We can kill them all. We're going to bring them back. Or kill them all. Um, <laughs> and so... Yes, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this that we have done that we have let the Israel let Israel go from serving us? We lost our free labor. What have we done? Mm -hmm. So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with the officers all over them, over all them. And the Lord hardened the Pharaoh's heart and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and the horsemen and, and his army, and overtook them encamped by the sea, by where we Hi, just ha, said. Roth, in and, front of Baal Zephon. Yes. I'm making, I don't know if that's correct. That's fine. So this is the part what Whitney was talking about earlier. It says, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses... Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? <laughs> I'm sorry. What have you done to the us audacity. to bring us out of Egypt? It is not, it's, uh, is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Oh, you of little faith, right? This is why, exactly, this is what I'm talking about. It just takes one thing, because keep in mind, it's not like they're seeing the Egyptians and they're like 10 feet away. They are a massive group of people. The Egyptians coming, it's an entire freaking army with 600 chariots alone, not to mention people marching and on a horse, horseback? Yeah, yeah. Um, They could see them from afar, that they were coming. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, they're starting to freak out what are we gonna do i told you we should have never left we told you when you first started this Leave let us, us alone, alone. <laughs> Leave the israelites alone we would rather be slaves than die here in the wilderness like oh you of little faith you just saw god kill all the firstborns of egypt to bring you out of egypt you just yeah. saw your lives spared because of what he told you to do and exactly you did it. like exactly. what makes you think that he is not going to spare you now precisely anyway so Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight. The Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. This verse. I was going to say, is that it? I think I'm it's like, it. that's it. That's it. 13, Four, 13, 13 and 14. 14. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's it. Of screaming towards me because at this point Moses has absolutely no idea what's going to happen next. No, Moses is the one who has faith. And Moses is the one that he knows that God just did all of this, and he is not about to let half exactly a million people die. because God said, "I'm going to be glorified 
and the Pharaoh and his men are going to, what, what is the exact words that he uses? Cause it's just, we talked about it earlier in this episode, but anyways, he basically says like, he's not the Pharaohs, the Egyptians aren't going to win. It's going to get bad, but they're not going to win. Yeah. Why would God do? Okay. Let's be real. Why would he do all, all this work to literally drown you in the ocean? Yeah, exactly. Or be slaughtered at the hand of your oppressors. Why would he do exactly. that? Exactly. Is that going to glorify him? No. Yep. Stand still. Moses told the people of Israel to stop. This is often the Lord's direction to the believer in a time of crisis. Despair will cast you down, keeping you from standing. Fear will tell you to retreat. Impatience will tell you to do something now. Presumption will tell you to jump into the Red Sea before it is parted. Yet God told Israel, he often tells us, to simply stand still, hold your peace as he reveals his plan. Yes. Boom. Boom. There it is. I have such trouble with that. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. Yes. Silence. Be patient. Stand still. Don't and say know those that words I to am me. God. Like, How many times do we hear be still and know? Just shut up. Because. <laughs> shut up and wait. <laughs> if he's going to make the flowers of the field look as beautiful as he does and make sure the sparrow has food for in its belly, why wouldn't he take care of his most precious creation? Why? Exactly. It's just so hard. Anyway, so the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and have all his hosts and chariots and his horsemen. And all the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten my glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Imagine Moses just being like, Chill, bro. You want me to what? <laughs> you mean tell me chill? Lift, I'm gonna lift my hand, and it's just gonna okay. I mean, at this point, is he probably surprised <laughs> everything he's done with his staff? I mean, no, but like, no. I mean, that's just crazy. Just like it's a wind. I mean, the wind had to be pushing people around, but like, the sea parted. The sea parted, and the Israelite people crossed on dry ground to the dry other side. Dry ground. Dry ground and the the water was like walls on either side of the people could you touch it i'm sure you could i think of moana oh yeah mm-hmm. i don't i think of the prince of egypt and the parting of the sea the right gr- i've never seen it so. pretty much the exodus for me is a cartoon in my head <laughs> like <laughs> that's why like i brought up the ai thing because yeah. that started to just watch the prince of egypt you'll be picturing the rest of this book in cartoon right okay. well actually i think it ends at the red sea but anyways so um, the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea. They did. All Pharaoh's horses and his chariots and his horsemen. And in the morning, watched the Lord of the pillar of fire and the cloud. Oh, wait. But not before the Lord throws them into confusion. Hold on, wait. I skipped something. Via the cloud. I skipped something. The angel of God, who was going before the hosts of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the hosts of Egypt and the hosts of Israel. So God placed himself between them. Yes. And there was a cloud in the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided and the people of Israel went out into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. 
The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning, watched the Lord of the pillar of fire in a cloud look down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, all of the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained, but the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. He basically drowned them all. He did. That's exactly what he did. And there has been archaeological evidence of chariot mm-hmm. wheels found where the Red Sea would have been. Exactly. Crazy. Exactly. Crazy. (laughs) This is my favorite part. (laughs) Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw that the Egyptians... (laughs) And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. And Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and his servant, Moses. I see a bunch of floating bodies and just washed up on the seashore. So it must be true. That's exactly in my head. That's exactly what what I'm thinking their thought process is. Oh, yeah, he was right this whole time. Look at him over there. I mean, you have to think about it from their perspective, too. Like, it had to have been hard. I'm sure. For this guy who they barely knew, who was also an Egyptian. I was going to say, who was raised... As a prince of Egypt. In the freaking palace, basically. To come to them and say, the Lord your God has spoken to me, and this is what's going to happen. Follow my instructions. Have faith. <laughs> I am your leader. After things got worse for them and all of that mess. So like, mm. Yeah. Well, and keep in mind, too, like, yeah, they were leaving their oppressors, but they were also leaving the life that they had known for the past however long. The only thing in the the only the stuff they had, the only things that they ever knew. Yep. Not their living. Crazy. Though. They left it. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. That was a very long episode. That was. This is a very long episode. And I'm sorry we're saying this at the very end, but if you need to pause. <laughs> now that it's over, right before we tell you our favorite verse. <laughs> Come back to us. All right. Our favorite verse, we decided in the midst of all of this. <laughs> yes. Where it was uh, Exodus 14. Well, it's two that kind of go hand in hand. Exodus yes. 14, 13 through 14. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. Yes. Because if my God is for us, who, who could stand, stand against, against? Yeah, I found something from Enduring Word. It says, we often have little idea of how much God does to protect us from the attacks of our unseen enemies. We sometimes feel that we are overwhelmed in a present spiritual struggle, but we may not know what it would be like if the Lord pulled back his protection. If you're stuck, if you're struggling, there's a plan, there's a purpose. Breathe. Be still, have faith. Yes, be still and know. So, on the next episode, we'll be discussing Exodus chapters 15 through 17, and that will be up next Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you so much for tuning in today's episode. Be sure to like and follow the show wherever you get your podcasts or reach out to us through reviews. You can always 
email us at allergictograce at gmail.com. We hope you've enjoyed the time we spent in God's word today, and we hope to see you next time. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.